This episode contains graphic details of murder and other crimes. Listener discretion is advised. to not always polite i hope you guys are having a great weekend the convoy has made its way to london ontario so um i think they're gone but if you hear any honking i apologize and my heart goes out to those in ottawa right now because i truly can't imagine how much of a shit show it is there so yeah i'm not gonna get into my thoughts on the convoy because that's not what this show is about but So, today we have an interesting case. This is hopefully not going to be too confusing, but there weren't a ton of sources on this case, I guess. (laughs) I don't know why that was so weird to say, but there wasn't a ton of sources. There is a video by the Fifth Estate if you want more information, but this is how I'm going to tell it, and if you don't like it, then too bad. Don't listen. (laughs) I'm just joking. Let me know what you think. Hopefully I explained it in a way that makes sense, but today I'm going to talk about a boy named David Roman, and David Roman was killed in foster care in Ontario. So there's a little sneaky peeky. Let's get on into the episode, okay? Alrighty, so David was born in 2003 to his parents, Elena and Antonio Roman. In 1991, his parents fled Russia and came to Canada. At the time, they had a seven-year-old daughter, and they left her behind with family until they got settled in, and then she joined them in 1995 in Canada. Years later, the couple were like, no, we're not having kids. We're not going to do that. But as their daughter got older, Elena had a change of heart. She got pregnant with David, and while she was pregnant, she was reading one of those name books, but the Russian version had suggested meanings for the names. She chose David because the book said it meant the chosen one. Two years later, after David was born, his parents got divorced, but they were able to continue a healthy co-parenting relationship for their kids. By the time David was four, his parents were driving him two or three days a week from their home in Richmond Hill to the Ontario Science Centre a half hour away in Toronto, a routine that continued until he was eight. At school, David was a very social kid, but he had a hard time following the rules, which ended up getting him in trouble with teachers. When he was 10, he was diagnosed with ADHD. Despite the diagnosis, it was said that he was bright and excelled as a writer. Now, Elena resisted getting medication for her son. Um, In Russia, any sort of mental illness or like learning disability was taboo. But by the time he was 13, she agreed to put him on medication for his ADHD. That caused his focus to improve, but he still wasn't really interested in school. David tried living with his dad for a few months, but decided that he wanted to stay with his mom. He went to a Catholic high school called Jean Jean Vignier. Probably pronounced that wrong, but that was in Richmond Hill, which is a suburb of Toronto. 
And there he started to smoke marijuana, which put a strain on the relationship that he had with his mother because she was very against that. She did not like that. David started skipping school and hanging out with new friends that his mom didn't like. She reached out to the school officials for help and they tried they tried telling David that he could skip class as long as he stayed in the school building, but his truancy just kept kept creeping up. He kept being truant and the school contacted York Region Children's Aid Society and the agency called Elena, but by grade 10, he was leaving school as soon as she dropped him off. In the YouTube video that I mentioned by the Fifth Estate, she said that basically she would drop him off at the front door and he would leave out the back door. So, there wasn't really anything she could do. She was trying her best. So, just before Elena was about to go away on a week-long business trip to Calgary, she found out she had cancer. She scheduled the surgery for the day that she returned and arranged for David to move to live with his father and his new wife. Within days, Antonio saw his son using marijuana, not attending school, all that jazz, and he arranged for a conference call with Elena and the Children's Aid Society. They both agreed on a foster placement while they remained in custody of David. So they would still have custody of him, all that good stuff, but he was going to go live in a foster home because they couldn't control him there. David was placed at a foster home in Newmarket, and that lasted a couple of weeks, but when David still refused to go to school and with his mom back after a hospital stay, she took him back and he went back to live with his mom. She was still really stressed out that her son was not going to school and she was afraid that he was going to get expelled. So Elena again sought help from the Children's Aid Society. This is a quote that she told CBC, quote, I didn't know how to act, how to reason with him. In my mind, this was my last help. A Children's Aid Society worker suggested a new foster home in Barrie that had specialized in kids who were truants, a claim that, quote, baffles those in the field who say there's no such specialization. So, that's interesting. <laughs> the new home was an hour away and would separate David from the friends that he had that were, like, using marijuana and, like, being bad influences and all that stuff. So, Elena was like, look. This is your ultimatum. You either go back to school near home with me or go to Barrie. And David chose to go live in Barrie. In December of 2018, David's parents drove him to Barrie to see the foster home and meet Jordan Calver. So Jordan Calver is going to be a big player in this story. And when I first heard about it, I kind of thought he was the bad guy, but... Um, of course, I'll let you guys be the judge of that, but my opinion definitely changed as we went through. So, Jordan Culver was 23, and he was pursuing a career as a chef when he heard Expanding Horizons wanted to hire a foster parent. Expanding Horizons, we will get into a little bit, but um, he reached out and was invited to meet Frank and Karen LaGreco, LaGreco, whatever, it doesn't matter, they're pieces of shit, in September of 2018 out of Starbucks in Barrie. The couple told him that they would only place youth who were non-violent or disturbed under his care and would support him so he could meet their needs. So this quote-unquote training was done on November 26th and 27th at a public library. Jordan was kind of shook when the training included how to physically restrain youth, but Frank assured him that the company would place non-violent youth with him. The only other training 
that he got was to observe another foster parent for a few hours and a CPR course in February. So his parents drive on up, they pull up, and they see a 23-year-old like man, kid standing there. Antonio was not happy. What he saw was, quote, a young adult with no background in social work who was not much older than his son. But Elena noticed that David and Jordan seemed to bond, which probably because they're like <laughs> the same age. But anyways, from December 20, 17th, sorry, December 17th to the 20th, David was the only kid in the foster home. When Elena would phone, she would hear that David was happy and enjoying himself, and she was like, great, I haven't seen him happy in years. So, like I said, the foster home was called Expanding Horizons, and during the time that David was staying there, it was operated by a company called Expanding Horizons Family Services. Now, their website, during this fifth estate interview, listed a bunch of impressive staff, but when it was scrutinized, it kind of unraveled. So let's talk about that a little bit. The consulting psychiatrist, Dr. Frank Smith, was chief of psychiatry at a hospital in York, Ontario, decades ago. But his wife told the Fifth Estate that he retired in 2013 and hasn't been licensed since 2016. He's 83 years old and being cared for in a long-term home. But he's the consulting psychiatrist for Expanding Horizons, apparently. The person that they had listed as their executive director, Marilyn Malton, said she never played that role and had asked the company to remove her name. She is actually a retired principal who tutors kids and says that years earlier she had helped the company get started as like an educational consultant. The person they have listed as legal counsel, Derek McNamara, helped the company to incorporate but surrendered his law license in 2018 after misappropriating nearly $500,000 from clients. Cool. The wife of Frank, Karen, was called the program manager and was listed as, quote, a registered behavior consultant, which does not exist in Ontario. That's not a designation you can have. So that's good. Since the website was created in 2010, at least 16 children's aid societies have placed foster children in the company's care. So, let's take a minute to <laughs> take that in, and we'll go back to Jordan. So, Jordan visited the foster home that was located on Penville Trail on October 31st and was asked to sign on November 3rd a $2,200 a month lease. Later that month, he signed an agreement in which Expanding Horizons promised to train and support him and react promptly should Jordan ask for help. He moved into the foster home in December on just after his 24th birthday. So, David and his parents roll up on December 17th, and his parents didn't know that Expanding Horizons were already considering a placement there for a 14-year-old boy from Hamilton who was troubled violent and had a criminal history and had been misrepresented to Jordan by Frank and the Hamilton Children's Aid Society. Ten days later, the Hamilton youth arrived, and in the one article, they call him James, so that's what I'm also going to call him. His real name was not released because he's 14. They don't release minors' identities, obviously. So, James, he tried to rob a hasty market, Telling a clerk he had a gun when no gun was found, James was charged with trespassing. 
So, Jordan alleges that this was the first of many serious occurrences that he emailed to Expanding Horizons. Those occurrences include, on January 5th, 2019, Jordan found James under the influence of drugs with white powder. Jordan suspected that it was an illegal drug, but Frank told him not to notify the police. James then threatened Jordan twice that he was going to kill him. First on January 9th, saying he'd, quote, put him to sleep and that he wouldn't get a chance to call for help. James bragged about committing crimes before he was placed in the home and Barry, but Frank discouraged him from filing a serious occurrence report to the ministry. On January 30th, James broke down Jordan's locked bedroom door. Frank promised that his wife would provide one-on-one support, but that never happened. Instead, the following day, the company added a third foster kid to the home. On February 5th, a fourth teen was sent there from a youth detention center after being kicked out by a seasoned foster parent in another home that was owned by Expanding Horizons, who actually had a live-in social worker. Jordan had asked Frank for help managing James's medicine. He had fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and Frank was just like, Google it. And then James had become more and more violent in mid-February. On February 15th, James threatened to kill Jordan and staff at a school where the foster parent tried to enroll him. Later that day, he threatened to kill Jordan because his skateboard had gone missing. Good. On February 17th, James kicked down Jordan's locked bedroom door while the foster parent was out shopping. Barry police arrested James. Jordan told Expanding Horizons and a social worker with the Hamilton Children's Aid Society that James could not return for the safety of him and the other kids that were living there. There was four kids there as well as James. Both Children's Aid Society and Expanding Horizons urged Jordan to take James back, and Frank wanted Jordan to provide seven days, sorry, seven to 30 days notice before removing James, which I guess, but no, (laughs) maybe with a little support, but what do I know? So now we're getting kind of into the nitty gritty. Just one day before David's death, Jordan called the police saying his room was broken into and a kitchen knife was stolen. David told his foster parents that he was uncomfortable with having James in the house. Parent, not parents. It was just Jordan there. All right. On February 19th, 2019, one of the other boys staying in the foster home says that he saw from his room that David was stabbed by a youth wielding two knives. That youth being James. Um, David was stabbed 20 times, including six times in the head, twice in the chest, once in the stomach, once in the back, and eight times in the neck. David was still conscious and was able to call for help, and Jordan grabbed a towel to clean up the blood and phoned 911. He was, unfortunately, he bled to death before paramedics arrived. After the last stab wound, he was alive for at least five seconds, perhaps as long as a few minutes, forensic pathologists estimate. An autopsy would later find traces of medication in David's system, including antipsychotics that he was never prescribed. The finding matches observations by one of the boys who saw David the night before he was killed take meds that were not his. Now, I don't know if he was like, doing that for shits like just to get a little buzz or if james like made him i didn't really say so 
I'm going to read this statement from uh, one of the boys that was living in the foster home. So, quote, in the early morning hours of February 19th, 2019, David was assaulted by James while he was asleep in his bed and sustained injuries to his upper body. Shortly thereafter, David ran upstairs and knocked on Jordan's bedroom door for help. While Jordan was getting a towel from the master bedroom's internal bathroom to help stop David's bleeding, David was subject to a knife attack. So, James goes in David's bed, stabs him. David runs away, gets Jordan's help. Jordan goes to get a towel, and James comes back and stabs him more. The paramedics arrived, and police officers actually had to break down the front door of the home. Now... This is kind of where the information... Oh, of course, my dog is taking a drink. No, that's fine. I'm not doing anything here. As I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. This is kind of where information goes cold. Because James, the alleged killer, is a minor, there is not much released about people of that age. So, as of March 8th, 2021, James has been charged with first-degree murder and is set to stand trial. Jordan Culver, who was 23 when he was hired, like I said, is suing Expanded Horizons and its operators, as well as the Hamilton Children's Aid Society and its workers, and the accused boy, James, for $11 million. He says he has suffered long-lasting trauma, obviously, because he witnessed a knife attack, which, fair. He also launched a $6 million lawsuit against the Ontario government, represented by the Ministry of Children, Community, and Social Services. In that lawsuit, he says that the provincial government should have followed its own policies, directives, and guidelines, and the group's home, the group home's license should have been revoked before David's death, which I agree with, because something fucked up was going on there. Anyways, so, Elena and Antonio allege... That, quote, the foster parent failed to use reasonable skill to provide a safe home for David, failed to report the accused boy had previously been arrested in connection with an attempted convenience store robbery to Children's Aid and should have never been allowed back in the house. Like, David should have, or sorry, Jordan should have never let James back in the house, which wasn't really his fault. Like, I I do feel like Jordan is kind of made to be the villain, at points in this case when it's really frank and karen that are villains but anyways the parents also blame the york and hamilton children's aid societies for their role in placing david and james in the same home and simcoe for its role in monitoring ensuring and ensuring that it was safe so what do you guys think of that the lawsuit is still ongoing jordan's lawsuit and i definitely think that he was put into a shitty situation and that children's aid absolutely failed david and his family so yeah like i said let me know what you guys think i hope this story made sense if not go watch that fifth estate video they interviewed two of the boys that lived in the foster home i think they call them evan and nick they both kind of witnessed different things that happened so if you want to see their interviews definitely check out that video um yeah I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. I hope you guys are having a good weekend. Stay safe and I will catch you guys next week. Bye.